Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to have with us on the podcast, Dr. Sam Rima, one of the co-authors of the book, Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership. It was just a great time to sit down with him. He's a professional at doing podcasts, so it makes my job a lot easier. Um, but just enjoyed discussing with him what is the dark side of leadership and what what is meant by that. Um, how does the dark side develop? Um, is there positives to having a dark side? Um, how do we begin to recognize and see that in leaders maybe that we're serving with or that we're serving alongside? And we discussed the codependent, the narcissistic, the paranoid leaders and what that means and 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 how we can interact uh, with those type leaders and and maybe recognizing that we might have some of those tendencies in and of ourselves. He also gives us some steps to overcoming the dark side um, and recognizing that this is not just a one and done type thing, that we recognize it, we address it, we move on, but it's honestly can be a daily battle. And so just really enjoyed um, spending time with Sam. Um, he's insightful and just, uh, as I said, just fun to have on the podcast. Do want to encourage you to continue sending your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where we sit down with Dick Foth and go over your questions. We curate those and kind of we put those with uh, a podcast and a similar theme. And uh, yeah, just a fun time with Dick. Always learn from him. And uh, it's just a, just a joy to be with Dick anytime we can be. So there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. I'm so excited to have a, a new friend of the podcast, Sam, with us. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be with you. Thanks. Sam, um, could you go ahead and just share a little bit about yourself before we uh, jump into the, some of the questions? Yeah, I've been married to my wife, Sue, for going on 43 years now. This coming year will be 43 years. And uh, I was a, we've got four kids um, okay. and 11 grandkids, wow, uh, 11 grandkids, and we've got two grandsons out of those 11. So okay. we are very um, into the the female um, population. So <laughs> that's been fun having a lot of little granddaughters around. We've got two boys, two girls. Um, I uh, spent the first probably 20 years uh, of my ministry life as a, as a lead pastor, as okay. a, a lead pastor. Um, and then I became the district executive minister for our denomination in a five okay. state area in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. So I oversaw all of our churches and camps and all of that church planting in uh, Oregon, Idaho, Washington, Montana, and Alaska. Wow. Um, did that. Um, from there, then I was recruited by our denomination to go um, to our seminary uh, at Bethel University in okay. Minneapolis, St. Paul, okay. where I became the director of the Doctor of Ministry program and also the director of church uh, enrichment, pastoral okay. enrichment. Yeah. Uh, so did that um, for about 11 years. Yeah. From there, um, as I was finishing up my PhD, I was invited to go to a university in Cairo, Egypt, which wow. was a big challenge. Yeah. But my wife and I had always talked about when all the kids were out of the house that we'd uh, maybe, you know, go to the mission field yeah. and work with, mission, you know, do missions kind of as a tent maker. This was a secular university, but it was an incredible opportunity. And so hmm. um, my wife also had a position um, with the university as an uh, administrator, but I moved there in December, 2010. Mm. And then the Egyptian revolution broke out on January 25th, 2011. Wow. wow. So 
I was there in Cairo throughout the revolution, which was, you know, interesting, sure. um, but realized that I was not going to move my wife over and that things were going to get a lot worse before they got better. So wow. anyway, so, and then have spent the last years, um, in you know education, I'm a certified spiritual director. I've served as an executive pastor at a church in Vancouver, British Columbia, a large multi-site church. Um, but now spend most of my time doing spiritual formation with mm. uh, indigenous leaders. Um, mm. So right now I'm running a what it's called a, an academy for spiritual formation and direction in India. Wow. with 45 indigenous leaders in India. Cool. And then like I shared, um, I'll be in Malaysia and presenting that Soul Journey Academy to a lot of their care workers as well, which is a two-year program. Wow. Um, and so that's kind of what I do, do a lot of wow. uh, spiritual direction with leaders. And yeah. Yeah, it's an honor to have you on. You know, we moved um, from Burkina to Madagascar to Kenya, and your book um, made all those trips with me. So um, it, it's been in my library for all, all those years. And um, really, really, it's it's spoken to me. So this evening, we're going to talk about um, the dark side of leadership. Um, can you, what does that mean, the dark side of leadership? Yeah, well, the dark side of leadership is actually just a natural, um, uh, a natural outcome of human development. Uh, none mm -hmm. of us grow up in perfect families. We live in a fallen, uh, sinful world. We grow up in imperfect, broken families. Our parents bring their own brokenness into their relationship. And no matter how good it is, it's not perfect. And as a result of that, as we go throughout our life, we experience different events, even traumas, significant issues that leave us with missing blocks on what I call our pyramid of needs hmm. um, that end up wounding us deeply, maybe creating a sense of shame, inadequacy, fear, um, inferiority, guilt, whatever it is. And... Um, and so what the dark side is, is, is it's not just all of the missing blocks or the wounds in our inner life, our deepest life. And, and the problem is most of those things happen when we're too young to process them effectively. Hmm. Uh, and so they just get kind of tucked away in the shadow side of our personality. Hmm. And then as we emerge into young adulthood, we find ourselves driven by forces that we don't always understand. What's, what's motivating us? What's driving us? Why do we need to be liked by others? Why do we need the approval of others? Why is success so important to me? Mm -hmm. All of these kinds of things are really um, being fueled by our dark side, by those unmet needs. And often it's a very unconscious process that happens until we find ourselves as young adults, maybe in our first professional capacities, really experiencing difficulties. And mm. so uh, really our dark side is kind of how we try to compensate for all of those inner wounds, feelings of inadequacy and insecurity, whatever it might be. Wow. Um, and um, and so we begin adopting behaviors to try to mask, to try to deal with those things. Again, often very unconsciously, hmm. we don't know why we're taking on these kind of personality traits, but that's kind of the dark side in a nutshell. Yeah. Pyramid of needs. I've never heard that. Um, that's that's new to me. Could you share what is, I think you yeah. said pyramid of needs. Is that correct? Yeah, Abraham Maslow uh, was a psychologist, um, and he he created this. What he did a lot of study on human motivation and okay. what drives uh, human beings, and he created this pyramid of needs. And there's five levels on the pyramid of needs, and what he says is 
that until our needs are consistently and regularly met on the primary level, we won't aspire to have needs met on a higher level. Hmm. And so what happens is as our needs are kind of more consistently met on each level, then we move and we aspire to uh, get our needs met um, on the next level. And so the first level is our physiological needs. It has to do with food, you know, shelter, air, water, all of that, the things we need physiologically to survive. And so, you know, for people in a lot of places of the world, that's where they get stuck because they don't know where the next meal is coming from, how how they're going to take care of their kids. And every day is a battle to just meet those basic physiological needs. For those of us in the West and other developed countries, those needs are pretty much kind of out of mind. We don't think about it that much anymore. Um, and so then the next level are what we call safety needs or what Maslow calls safety needs. And that's the need to feel safe, um, not only emotionally and psychologically, but also, again, physically. Um, then after safety needs are love needs. We, As human beings, we've been created in the image of a loving God, and we mm. all have deep needs um, to be loved. You know, to be completely known and unconditionally loved. And yet in our fallen, broken world, that very seldom happens uh, apart Hmm. from a relationship with Christ, you know, uh, God in Christ. Uh, After our love needs come esteem needs Uh, that has to do with making a contribution, being a person that brings value to you know, the world around us, to an organization, that we're competent, that we make a difference, that we contribute. Once those needs are met, then the ultimate, the pinnacle on the pyramid is what Maslow calls um, self-actualization. Okay. And that's where once you've kind of succeeded, you've, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, then all of a sudden you become concerned with the big questions of life. Okay. Throughout our young adulthood, we're pursuing success and profession and career. And then all of a sudden, we get the house, we've got the job, maybe we've got the two cars, we've got a lake house, maybe we've got a family. And yet there's still all of these, you know, questions, unmet needs, you know, why am I here? Yeah. You know, what's the meaning of life, all that? And how do I make a contribution that transcends this temporal world kind of thing? Yeah. And so that's why you see people like a Bill Gates and some of these multi-billionaires who are these driven, maniacal leaders in their younger years. All of a sudden then it's like, okay, I've got all this. Now what? Mm. And so they turn to these foundations and trying Mm. to make a difference the world. And so that's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is instrumental really in understanding how the dark side develops, along with Eric Erickson and some of the other developmental psychologists that help us understand how God has wired us and how we, what we need to develop as healthy uh, kind of self-differentiated human beings. One of the things that in the, was I've read the book many times was the idea that dark side, you know, it, it gives dark side normally has negative connotations, but you share there can actually be some positive to it. Could you unpack that idea that there could be some positive to it? And, and maybe I misread it. No, no, absolutely. I mean, in fact, uh, in the first edition of the book, the subtitle was the paradox of personal dysfunction. Hmm. Oftentimes uh, again, as we kind of emerge out of childhood, adolescence, through high school, uh, we get into our college years. It's often some of those very dysfunctions and unmet needs that become the drivers to propel us to maybe, you know, attempt things, achieve things that we wouldn't otherwise if we were completely and totally healthy. 
you know, and we're doing it not in an altruistic way, but we're doing it because we sense that somehow this is going to fill a hole in my soul. This is going to mend some deep wound. It's going to make me feel like I'm adequate, Hmm. uh, that I'm a contributor, whatever. And so the dark side can really propel us and motivate us in very powerful ways. And I would say for almost every human being on planet earth, apart from Christ, that is the case. You see, and I use leaders in the book like, you know, Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. And you can just go on and on. Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. It's often the things they experienced in childhood and adolescence that left them feeling less than that propel them to try to achieve some kind of greatness. Hmm. Um, and it's not until later in life that that greatness maybe becomes directed more kingdom minded or more sure. altruistic. But in, in those twenties, thirties and forties, it's all about us. It's really all about, and often we mask it very well. The challenge and the paradox is that again, once we've achieved a certain level of success and those needs are, those holes are still there and we still feel incomplete in some way. And we still feel there's gotta be more because I'm still, you know, not satiated sure. in terms of my drive it's then that oftentimes leaders, often when they're at the pinnacle of their power and their influence, don't know what to do with those inner urges, those inner needs. And so then they turn to what I call unholy coping mechanisms. Hmm. And that's when leaders turn to, you know, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's porno- pornography, maybe it's an illicit sexual affair, maybe it's unethical behavior, maybe it's just toxic leadership, trying to control others or whatever it is. But oftentimes, those traits don't emerge until someone's been in leadership for 15, 20 years. Hmm. And then, and so you see with all of these leaders, whether it's a Nixon, a Kennedy, uh, a Clinton, I mean, you know, a Jimmy Swaggart, uh, you know, you can just go on and on. um, A Jim Baker. It's when they're at the pinnacle and they've arrived where they thought would satisfy and they'd feel like I'm finally complete, that they don't know what to do with it. And then they start searching in often very unholy ways. Wow. Wow. And so that's, is that kind of the intersection where we see it in the church too? Because, in, and you know, 20, well, you talk Jimmy Swagger, Jim Baker, when I was a kid, that those were, you know, prominent. Oh, yeah. But even more today, you're seeing this, you oh. know, people, what you would see would be the ideal ministry opportunities. Yeah. And then- yeah. Could you just a little bit share a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's exactly it. I mean, and oftentimes, you know, in our seminaries, in our ministerial preparation, we haven't dealt with these issues. Hmm. You know, we we deal with church history and Greek and Hebrew and theology and, uh, you know, evangelism and homiletics and all, all these things sure. to equip people for doing. Hmm. But we haven't been really good over the past 30 years of focusing on being. Hmm. recognizing that all of our healthy doing has got to flow out of a healthy being and relationship hmm. with God. And so oftentimes, and and unfortunately in the last 20 years or so too, there are many leaders that have been brought up in very grassroots organizations like Hillsong and others that don't get a lot of formal training hmm. or assessment in terms hmm. of assessing their personality and that kind of thing in terms of fitness for ministry, but they're very charismatic and they're very gifted and very talented and incredible communicators and they're attractive. And so often what happens is they end up in leadership capacities that outstrip their character. Wow. 
And wow. you can you can do that for a while, but the pressure of that kind of leadership, particularly spiritual leadership in, in congregations, the pressure is such that over a period of time, those issues will begin to seep to the surface, mm. you know, um, because of the, the pressure is just too great. Mm. And so, you know, that's why we're, I mean, whether it's a Ravi Zacharias, I mean, hmm. you think about that, I mean, yeah. um, a, a Bill Hybels. Yeah. And then on a weekly basis, we hear of other maybe leaders of less public renown, sure. but who have kind of fallen off the way rails and we're all human we all failed david did i mean right. solomon did. i mean you know and so i i think it's important that we not just take this jaundiced um kind of judicious eye at people who fail mm. but recognize that oftentimes yes it's sin it's willful um but at the same time we have an enemy that is incredibly artful and knows exactly where to strike yeah. and so you know, one of the things that I talk about in terms of, I really believe that one of the most important traits for effective spiritual leadership is self-awareness. Hmm. You know, that you can have all of the gifts, all of the skills, all of the talent, but if you don't have a deep awareness of yourself hmm. and your brokenness and a humility before God to deal with that, yeah, um, you know, you're just, it's going to be a, a challenging ministry life. <laughs> sure. And so is that is self-awareness something you can grow in? Is that how, how does that, is that, as you talked about as growing up, is that something we develop at a young age? Is that something we can, if you're, I'm 46, is that something I can grow in my self-awareness? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, in fact, that's, you know, I talk about six lifelong practices for okay. overcoming the dark side. Um, and one of those practices is um, practicing um, self-knowledge, hmm. you know, um, Augustine and John Calvin, they talk about uh, what they call double knowledge. Okay. The reality is that in order for us to know God more deeply, we've got to know ourselves more deeply. And it's this kind of upward spiral. Hmm. The, the more we become aware of ourselves, the more we can relate with God and invite him into maybe previously... Uh, closed off spaces sure. in our life. Sure. Okay. And in fact, the very first step in having a relationship with God is an element of self-awareness, right? Hmm. I'm a sinner. Yes. That's good. You know, I'm fallen. I can't help myself. Yeah. And many people, that's an impossible barrier. They just can't admit that, you know, and they think I'm pretty good. And so our relationship with God begins with that self-awareness that we are sinners and that we can't help ourselves and that we need a savior. Um, and then once we meet him, we get to know him and what he's done for us and all of that, which begins to reveal a little bit more about ourselves. And it's just this upward spiral. And so there's a lot of ways that we can grow in self-knowledge and self-awareness. Um, one is obviously by just taking advantage of different um, profiles and assessments. Okay. okay. Obviously, one of those is the dark side assessment to right. kind of find out what shape is my dark side taken, you know, hmm. and it's always directly related to the missing blocks of my pyramid of needs, you know. Hmm. Um, and then there's things, and I know there's some controversy about it, but I have no problem with it. I think it's a powerful tool, the Enneagram. Okay. You know, um, because from a Christian perspective, the Enneagram will also help identify your root sin, hmm. you know. Um, so, you know, when your type isn't working, 
um, what is the root sin that you fall back on? Um, And and so that can bring a a level of self-awareness. You know, the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs temperament, you know, um, inventory, the disc, all of these kinds of things help us, the strengths finder, they all help us understand different pieces of ourselves so we can begin to get a more comprehensive view of who we are, how God has wired us, um, so that we can maybe understand ourselves better. But then a second practice that I just, you know, think is vital is spiritual direction. Okay. I've been meeting with a spiritual director for probably the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Okay. And it's just a monthly time with a trained spiritual director where I just, where you process um, your life with God. And how are you experiencing God? How are you experiencing yourself? Where are you struggling? You know, and the spiritual director is trained to ask you questions to draw out how you're relating to God and helps you kind of understand, uh, you know, your relationship with him. And I think that adds to self-understanding. But then just, you know, constant reading, you know, um, and then being open to feedback. You know, most of us say we're open to feedback, but we're really not. As soon as it's negative, we have this defensive posture. Maybe we listen, sure. but we don't really receive. Yeah. And so I think that that's a, a critical factor as well. Yeah, I think I, you know, I'm learning that I, what I really am trying, what I probably am saying is I'm open to affirmation. Um, oh, feedback, yeah. you, know, you know, I mean, that's, I think yep. we use the word feedback is you're going to affirm me. But what you're, you know, what you're saying is, is very, very true. When we get feedback that we didn't necessarily want, then we become right. defensive and we push back. So kind of. Yeah, that's uh, most valuable. I mean, that, oh, is, for sure. that is the key because, yeah. y- you know, unless you just have the gift of criticism, <laughs> you know, as a, as a spiritual leader, as someone who's managed a staff yeah. of 40 in academic yeah. programs, it is very, very difficult to give honest feedback to someone when it's not positive. Hmm. But whenever anyone has the courage and the love and the care to offer you this gift of genuine feedback, you need to understand, first of all, this, this is very hard to do. Yeah. You know, this doesn't be natural to most of us. We just assume gloss over and not have to deal with it. Sure. When someone offers that, um, they're doing it oftentimes at a pain to themselves, you hmm. know? And so that's why we need to receive it and recognize that, you know, that this is probably very truthful, yeah. Yeah. at least from their perspective. Sure. You know? No, it's good. Spiritual director. How does that dif- differ from counseling? Is it similar to counseling? Not similar to counseling? Yeah. It's not some, it's, they're two completely distinct disciplines. Okay. In spiritual direction, we focus in spiritual direction, really. So, you know, when I have a directee, someone who comes to me for direction, um, the client in that relationship is the directee's relationship with God. Okay. So, what I'm doing as the director is I'm kind of taking a prayerful attitude, kind of a, a, a prayerful mindset. And and listening to the spirit as yeah. they share, maybe it's a dilemma they face with, maybe it's a period of emotional distress. And what they're trying to do is they're trying, where is God in this? Okay. You know, how do I make sense of this in terms of my relationship with Christ? That's and good. how can I respond to the invitations that God is giving me or the opportunities, that kind of thing? And so we're not 
you know, if it comes down to psychological problems or real emotional problems, you know, I'll always refer someone to a counselor. This is about your your walk with God and your relationship with him, okay. you know, triune God. Sure. And so that's that's the sole focus of spiritual direction. And it's not uh, discipleship. We're not, you know, telling people to memorize scripture or anything like that. It's giving you an opportunity to just share, well, over the last month, you know, yeah. You know, one of the questions I asked when I start a session is, so how goes your soul? Hmm. And it's just shocking uh, for me, people who've been in ministry for 40 years. You ask them a question like that, they don't even know how to answer it. Hmm. You know, hmm. how goes your soul? People probably never asked them that. So that's <laughs> Yeah. And it's yeah. not like, oh, my ministry's going great. No, I didn't ask you that. I said, how is your soul? Wow. You know, wow, and so now we have to dig into really what is the state of my experiential kind of existential relationship with the living God. Yeah. And how am I hearing from him? How am I communicating with him? How am I receiving him on a, yeah. you know, on an hour by hour daily basis? Yeah. That's awesome. Well, my inquisitive mind has taken me off, off, off the questions I wanted okay. to ask you. So I'm going to bring us back. Um, if dark side, if someone's listening into this, if they fail to recognize their dark side, what, how have you seen that play out? If we fail to recognize our dark side? Well, I mean, if we fail to recognize our dark side, um, particularly if we're in an, a position of influence, uh, and I've seen this over and over as an executive minister who is overseeing, you know, hundreds sure. of churches sure. and pastors um, in in many of my roles, training pastors, you yeah. know, in seminary and that kind of thing. Um, it most often leads to, you know, a toxic um, ministry environment for others. Okay. Uh, it often leads to rapid staff turnover uh, because mm. people just can't work with the the leader. You know, yeah. they recognize they're narcissistic or they're controlling, they're compulsive, yeah. but the leader doesn't recognize it. And so they just continue to double down and do what they do. And so it leads to, you know, those kinds of issues in, in church settings, um, you know, congregational conflict and dysfunction, all of that, because we really, we cultivate what we are. Hmm. So as spiritual leaders, if we're unhealthy, if we're dysfunctional, if we're demanding of ourselves in our relationship with God in an unrealistic way, then that's that's always going to be projected onto others. Okay. Um, and, and so, again, uh, but when you're working with, serving with a leader who is self-aware, understands their brokenness, um, has humility before God— uh, and recognizes their gifts are from God and not for their own kind of sure. self-advancement and building their own kingdom and their own platform, which is sure. what we're all about now, um, the, then those leaders are a joy to work with. Yeah. But when we fail to recognize our dark side, it'll just lead to, um, if it doesn't lead to some kind of failure, ethically, morally, whatever, it often leads to, like I said, toxicity and dysfunction, but also sure. profound spiritual um it it profoundly Im impacts in a negative way our spiritual well-being okay yeah. and our relationship with god and how how does that impact the family of a, a spiritual leader and they're not recognizing their dark side would that sink that impact their family also or is that something different oh yeah yeah it, no it um you know it's it's kind of like you know what i say to some of these leaders is you know everywhere you go there you are <laughs> 
<laughs> so, so they take this with them. And oftentimes, particularly when it comes to, you know, husbands and wives, wives are very, very keyed in, you know, mm-hmm. their husbands, yeah. you know, um, areas for growth, shall we say. <laughs> um, and, and they're the ones that oftentimes, you know, are crying out the most that, you know, their, their spouse sure. would get some yeah. help because oftentimes, uh, again, because it impacts our relationship with our spouse negatively, sure. there's not a lot of opportunity to share from a spousal perspective. Hey, yeah, yeah, I see some of these negative traits, you know, yeah. in your life, kind of thing. But yeah, it definitely impacts the family. Just with heavy, you know, uh, workaholic, hmm. you know, um, kind of characteristics sure. and the need for success, and the family kind of takes a back seat, and you know, so I mean, there's all kinds of corollary damage that takes place. Um, you talk about some different types of leaders and you've mentioned it a little bit. Yeah, there's codependent leaders, there's narcissistic leaders, paranoid leaders, passive aggressive, comp- compulsive leaders. In 2023, um, do you see more of those than less? Is there one that you're seeing more of now when it comes to leaders? Are they pretty much uh, equal parts depending on the person? Well, you know, I think, you know, Again, we 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 are more typically attuned to the high profile leaders or the leaders that have kind of are in the public eye. Okay. I would say that today, maybe the last, you know, seven or eight years, there, there's a greater preponderance of narcissistic leaders, um, even in the church. Hmm. And I think a part of that is due to the emergence of social media. Okay. And and this you know, you hear pastors talk all the time about building their personal brand or building their brand. You know, they've got Instagram and they've got Twitter and it's sure. all about getting likes and building yeah. a platform. Well, what that what's that about? Yeah, you know, it's about them. I mean, it's oftentimes about us. Um, but at the same time, you know, you know, most all of us have um, kind of like with our spiritual gifts. You know, if you've yeah. ever taken a spiritual gift inventory. Sure. If you have the gift of teaching, you probably don't have, or the gift of leadership, you probably don't have the gift of mercy or helps. Okay. Or service. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because there's a cluster of gifts of teaching, maybe administration, leadership, that kind of go together and supplement one another. And then those who have the gifts of mercy and service, they have a cluster of gifts that supplement those gifts. And that's the beauty of the body is all Mm. working together Hmm. complete body. Yeah. And so all of us have, you know, for example, you know, I've been high in narcissism. Now did this and developed the inventory and stuff. I was very high in narcissism and compulsive and also codependent. Okay. Um, And so now, you know, 25 years later or so, um, all of those scores have come down as a Hmm. result of, you know, some real failures, some brokenness, Hmm. some difficult, you know, circumstances that sure. I've had to deal with becoming aware of, um, yeah, I, I really am, you know, yeah. or have been sure. And so, uh, that, that's really important to, to be aware of, but, um, yeah, every, every person's unique. And like I say, it, it depends on what did you experience often during those childhood adolescent years that shaped you, hmm. you know, if you're abandoned by a parent or, experience the divorce of parents in an early age, that can lead to issues of being compulsive or maybe yeah. paranoid, not yeah. being able to trust people, you know? Yeah. Um, 
for those who grew up, let's say, with very successful parents and always felt like they were in their shadow and never measured up, you know, oftentimes they end up taking on the shape of narcissistic dark mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Uh, because at the root of the narcissist, not strong self-image, the root of narcissism is is uh, incredibly low self-image okay. and feeling completely inadequate. And so they create this persona to compensate yeah. which is this narcissistic personality. Wow. Wow. Codependent leader. Uh, what, what does that look like? Well, you know, codependency um, classically is a person is codependent when they're dependent on another person who's, de- you know, mm-hmm. has a dependent. Okay? okay. So for example, uh, codependency is, let's say you grew up in the family of an alcoholic. Okay. okay? And let's say the alcoholic, you know, is, you know, kind of rules the family is brings in chaos and all kinds of things, but the family kind of becomes dependent on that chaos for how they function. And so the children families, families like that learn how to keep the peace, how Hmm. to, Oh, that's coming home. He sounded drunk. Yeah. So they begin to adjust their behaviors based on that person's dependency to kind of control the situation, provide safety to mitigate any, really difficult situations. Now, the challenge is that when we get into life and we're codependent, we often end up taking responsibility for problems that are not ours. We have a difficult Mm. time saying no because we just want to keep the peace. And so even if that means extra work for us or we get taken advantage of, so be it. But then we get angry that we're being taken advantage of, you know, and, and that thing. So, and oftentimes, you know, when it comes to ministry, uh, having kind of done thousands of these dark side assessments, almost all lead pastors are, you know, narcissistic and compulsive. Okay. And, and that's just because those are the roles that, you know, um, people kind of naturally aspire to, to fill sure. those uh, feelings of inadequacy and that kind of thing. Um, the bulk of, let's say, support staff, it there's a higher preponderance of codependency. Okay. Um, And, you know, wanting to serve others, wanting to, you know, and, and again, I don't want to generalize too much, but you can kind of see in the roles that people take in ministry and leadership, you know, they aspire to, or gravitate to those roles for specific reasons that are all kind of internal to themselves. So it shouldn't be a surprise that we see kind of a, um, you know, a a stratification in a sense throughout the church in terms of kind of the levels of leadership and influence and how that correlates with the person's dark side. For sure. I'm going to ask you one more. Compulsive. What does a compulsive leader look like? Um, compulsive leaders are very controlling. So okay. uh, compulsivity uh, in the context of the dark side is, is someone who needs to be in control at, at all times, you know? Okay. And so whenever you see someone that is really like perfectly fit, perfect hairstyle, dressed to the nines, you know, yeah. are very conscious of their image and status, you can almost guarantee that they're compulsive. Okay. You know, they're very regimented, um, you know, have very kind of rigid schedule for themselves and expectations of themselves. Um, and then also they end up projecting that onto others as well and kind mm. of look down at people who don't share their same disciplined lifestyle and that kind of thing. Um, Interesting. But again, you can see that that 
can have all kinds of implications for leadership in the church. For sure. And so you mentioned early, we we talked earlier about self-awareness, and that was a, a one way that we can overcome. Could you share a little bit more? I think you said there was six other ones that would, how we can overcome the dark side of leadership. Yeah. Well, I mean, the six, there's kind of six lifelong practices. Um, okay. You know, this is kind of a lifelong journey. I, I, I don't think there's ever a time where you kind of go, oh, I've overcome my dark side. <laughs> That's good it's to know. Always, that was it's that's always, good to know. It's a work process. And what okay. I, I kind of use metaphor of spiritual composting. Okay. So if you've ever composted, you know, you take the items, you know, that are no longer useful in their present form, you know, uh steak bones and watermelon rinds and old leaves and all of these kind of organic things that are no longer useful. Sure. And you put them in a pile together and it's just garbage. Yeah. But over time, when you put them there, this amazing chemical reaction takes place. And what was once our garbage ends up being turned into humus, hmm. which is the richest soil that we then use to bring new sure. life in yeah. our gardens, that kind of thing. And the same thing is true when it comes to there are aspects of our personality that aren't really useful in their present form. They're more hurtful and toxic. But if we become aware of those and begin a process of giving them to God, hmm. over time, the Holy Spirit begins to do this amazing work of integrating those in to yeah. our life in a in a more holistic way. Sure. And the six practices that kind of help us in this process, number one is just acknowledging your dark side. Okay. Is you can't do anything until you acknowledge. Yep. You know, yeah. I do have a dark side and this is the shape it takes. And yeah. it has had an impact on my life, my relationships, my leadership. Once you do that, um, then it's a matter of uh, step two is uh, practice progressive self-knowledge. Okay. You know, learning about yourself, sure. understanding how did this happen. Um, and a part of that process is, is examining the past. So that's... Okay. Actually, step two is examine the past. Step three is practice progressive self-knowledge. And so we need to look at, you know, you know, how did we develop? You know, what were some of the things? What were some of the experiences that we had that mm. we can still remember today? Okay. You know, and those those memories that still stand out as adults today that took place when we were five or six yeah. or eight or 12, they stand out for a reason. Because they impacted us in some profound way. Sure. And then we need to kind of look at, so what really happened? And how did it impact me? And, you know, all of those things, looking at it now with adult perspective and, and the maturity to be able to process and recognize that wasn't about me. That was about a teacher that needed attention that was, you know, hmm. me or, or, you know what I'm saying? Right. So examining the past. Um, and then uh, overcoming expectations, dealing okay. with unrealistic expectations. Okay. Um, and then the fifth one is uh, spiritual direction. Okay. Uh, the practice of in an ongoing sure. way being in a relationship with another mature, trained person that can help us process sure. uh, how, how we're progressing. And then the final one is surrendering to the unconditional love of God. Okay. If we do all of the others, but yeah. we don't, truly begin to experience the unconditional love of God for us in Christ and surrender to his love, all of the other things, 
you know, they'll be helpful, but they're not going to help us enter into the kind of relationship with God that we want. And one of the things I find in evangelical circles, particularly those of us who grew up in more legalistic kind of backgrounds, is theologically, we know God loves us. Hmm. Intellectually, we understand God loves us. But experientially, we have no idea of God's absolutely out of control, incomprehensible love for us in Christ. Hmm. And the psalmist says in Psalm 103, um, as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how great God's love is for those who fear him. Yeah. You know, and, and Paul says, you know, that there's nothing in all of creation, including hmm. you, including your own sin, yeah. that can separate you from the love of God for you in that's Christ good. Jesus. Yeah, and and I find that you know, one of the questions I often ask when I get in a coaching relationship or even spiritual direction, I say, Adam, I want you to respond to this question quickly and very honestly. When God thinks of you, hmm. he feels, and you know what the most common response is? Disappointed. No. Seriously. Dis- oh, I'd say 80% of the time, 85% wow. of the time, uh, these spiritual leaders will say disappointed. You know, I don't measure up. I'm I'm missing the mark. Of course, we all miss the mark, but Christ sure. doesn't. Yeah. And we're in Christ. But we've never really connected the reality that there is absolutely nothing we can ever do to save ourselves. Yeah. And no matter how hard we work, no matter what we do, it doesn't improve our standing for God while we were yet sinners. Yeah. That's a good word. Christ died for us. Yeah. You know? And so I just find so many leaders laboring under this, you know, wanting to please God. And yes, we want to please God, but yeah. we please God by trusting in Christ and saying it's all Christ, yeah. not me, you know? Yeah, that's a good word. And, and just beginning to live in that place of being God's beloved, not because we deserve it, yeah, but because Christ makes it so. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Sam, it's been an honor to spend some time with you this evening. Will you pray for us that God will use our conversation? um, Not just so we have more knowledge, but more that we'll be able to explore this and put it into application. You pray for us. Yep. Uh, Father, thanks so much for this time that I can spend uh, tonight with just uh, sharing about these uh, thoughts about the dark side of leadership and the kind of the dark side of our personalities and how that can impact us. And Father, how you have allowed us to experience thing, experience these d- different things in our lives so that you might do your work and create the true self that you desire us to be in Christ. And Father, I just pray for anyone that might be listening that's maybe struggling with issues of uh, you know, personal dysfunction or maybe unholy coping mechanisms, addictions or compulsive behaviors, whatever it might be, or they recognize that maybe they're in a toxic situation themselves. Father, I just pray that you would enable them to reach out to trusted uh, spiritual leaders uh, to begin the process of getting help and healing, because ultimately uh, all of life, the goal of life is to know you, to love you and live with you forever. And everything else pales in comparison. And that's why we do our missionary work as well, so that people might know you, the one true God, which you say is eternal life. And so, Father, we just pray that you would help us not just to endure our walk with you, but to truly and thoroughly enjoy uh, deep intimacy with you. And we know that you can do that. You say that, um, that your power is perfected in our weakness. 
But it's only as we recognize and admit our weakness and give it to you that the power of Christ then flows through that. And often our areas of weakness become the most profound areas of our ministry effectiveness to others. So again, Father, just take all of uh, the conversation, uh, just cast by the side anything that's not of you. And Father, use this in our lives to, to kind of further deepen our relationship with you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.